He's on a mission means to serve others before you, and it means to make sure others feel good about themselves and are good, feel good about what they do. Kids on mission is to serve and put others before yourself and serve others, and you should do what the interests not do what we want to do first and put others first. Kids on mission means to put others first and treat them like you would want to be treated. To shine your light to everybody that you go to, that you see every day. Life on mission means that I find people in my community who I know don't know God yet and try and help them. I think life on mission has to be uh, your lifestyle. Um, your mission can't be um, a specific point in your life or specific thing that you did that you can just point out and say that's what it was. I think it has to be um, a part of everything that you do. Um, for me, life on mission means like living with the burning passion in your heart to go out and spread God's word like wildfires for all to hear so that everyone has, can join you in heaven. Life on mission means living your life the way you would live if you were on a missions trip and living, doing things for people that need to be done, not just because you think it'll get you something in return, but because it needs to be done. Life on mission to me is um, sharing God's love with others and just living your life for Him with all that you do. Um, we're wrapping up life on mission today, and I was just trying to think, uh, just who would be like somebody in, the, in this room that everybody would know about that, that lived his entire life on mission? And uh, the, what came to mind was a guy named Billy Graham. I'm, I'm sure everybody in here has heard about Billy Graham. Um, even though he lived and, and his ministry lasted decades, six decades, he tells a story about one time he, he kind of struck out a little bit. So he was in a, a, a small town in the Midwest. This is back in the 50s, he would travel town to town, and at, at that point, it, was, it wasn't very uh, well-known, and he was uh, speaking in, in churches, and he came across a young boy, he had a, a letter to send, and didn't know where the post office was, and he turned to the boy who was a local there and said, hey, uh, do you know where the post office is? He's like, well, yeah, it's down the street to your right, and before he got done, Billy Graham said, you know what, I would love for you to come this evening to the church, I'm going to tell people how they can go to heaven, and the boy's like, I don't think so, sir. No, what? Why is that? He said, you don't even know where the post office is, let alone heaven, maybe. <laughs> true story. True story. And, uh, and, and today is all about stories. It's about, uh, we're going to celebrate what, what God is doing here at, at Crestview in the lives of, of the body here. We're going to tell some stories. I love stories. I can remember even since I was just a, a young kid, I'd sit on the ground uh, and, and just Asked my dad to tell me a story. I said, tell me a story, Dad. He said, well, have you heard this one? I'm like, yeah, I have. How about this one? Yep. Have you heard this story? And he'd, he'd line it out. He's like, yeah, but tell that one again. Yeah? I think it's important for us to tell our story, not just our story of faith to other people, but among ourselves. We do this for encouragement. Up on the walls around us, you guys can see the, the canvases that we brought back. We, we ask people to... to kind of artistically say what life on mission means to us. And a lot of them are fabulous. 
On the backs of a few of them, however, people had written some things out, kind of explained exactly why they believe what they do about life on mission. I just wanted to take the opportunity this morning just to read a few of those to you this morning. The first one, you can see it up on the screen behind me. It says this on the back. Living a life on mission means putting Christ at the center of my life, knowing, that he's, uh, knowing the sacrifice he made for me, knowing the unconditional love that only comes from our creator, sharing that love with those that cross our path in life so that they can come to know, know the source of that great love, God our Father, Christ his Son, and the Holy Spirit that lives in me. I think it's powerful. It spells out what life on mission is. Living for God, the Holy Spirit working out of us. The, the, the next one I'm going to read to you is a, a, a little more personal. You, you can hear in her heart her wrestling with, with what it means to live her life on mission. It says, this was a struggle for me. I didn't want to give the Sunday school answer, but life on mission has meant several different things for me over the years. I've traveled uh, several countries on missions trips, but leading adult people to the Lord has always been difficult. Children, on the other hand, seem more natural. But in this season of life, being a mom with additional children in, the, in Kansas has stretched me. At this point, I believe that God has put me in Wamigo for a purpose. To be honest, finding that purpose has been hard. I have a handful of people I've been praying for. I've also been praying for boldness and an opportunity. Since encounter, God's been stirring my heart to step out. So my breakdown of life on mission is reality now and a goal to strive for. I know he's given me the spirit. It all starts with Jesus and then radiates outward. It starts with having a heart for Jesus, going and getting out of your comfort zone. I don't know if you're like this lady, but the, the, this, the, the tension is real. We, we could have been practicing for years, but it's still, it can be awkward at times, but we know that we need to step out in obedience. We need to listen to the Spirit. We need to work with Him in our life. This next one is uh, by a, child, a, a child in our congregation. It says, life on mission means loving everybody, even if they're small or tall. Yeah? Kind of spells it right out for you. I love it. It's the simpleness of a child. And then the next two was, was made by a parent and their child. The parent wrote this. This is life on mission means growing my own roots deep to anchor myself in Jesus, spreading out to follow Jesus in the different directions that Jesus takes me. Sometimes Jesus lets me encounter others whom I can impact in his name. And you can see the child's right next to hers. And the parent wrote, life on mission for this three-year-old means to, learning to mimic her parents. We hope we are leading her closer to Jesus. This is a, a generational thing. And, and I hope that you're taking your, your, your role as a parent seriously. In our, in our kids' ministry, in our youth ministry, they've been learning the exact same thing we've been learning about for these last six weeks. I love it. I love the chance to, to, to get together as a, as a body 
to do this together. And you saw the stories from the kids and the youth before. Our last one, uh, I'm not going to yell at you because it was written in uh, a lot of explanation points. However, <laughs> this child really gets the point across. It says, I think it means to baptize people in the name of Jesus God and the Holy Spirit. Why get baptized? To begin your life for Christ and God and Jesus. Get baptized now. You can see the, <laughs> yeah? We need to listen to that. Friends, I'm going to wrap up with a, uh, with a video. It's a story of a, of a family. You know what? Their Jerusalem is St. George. If you live in St. George, you know who they are. And chances are they helped bring you to Crestview. It's the kind of family that I hope it's in the lives of the people I've been praying about this last week. My older brothers in Denver, I would love to have this family. When, when, I, when, I, when I pray, I say, you know what? Bring this type of family into his life. And I pray that we're all like them as well. Thank you. Hi, my name is Don Bailey, and I've been asked to just give what I think life on mission means to me. And, um, and it means to me just um, time, time sharing and caring and um, um, giving of ourselves um, to God. One thing that my husband and I decided to do a couple years ago was to get involved with the youth and um, the junior high and senior high. And one way we knew we had to do was to bring kids to youth group. And since we have an eighth grader that can't uh, um, drive and a high schooler that couldn't drive at the time, we knew we had to take them. And so if we're going to take them, we might as well just stay. And so that's what we did. We packed our car full of boys, um, junior high boys and a high school son, and we drove them to youth group. And that was one way we felt that um, we could definitely take our time out and do and we, um, 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 then we just stayed and we became a part of the youth group for the last couple years. Um, um, and it, it's a great experience on the way home. We get to kind of talk to them about what they've learned and uh, we get to talk to them on the way there, what happened in school that day. And then we can really interact with them and kind of give them a little more support just over because we knew what was said at youth group. So we could kind of invest in their time that way also. A quote that I had heard was that somebody somewhere is depending on you to do what God has called you to do. And I think that's so important that um, God is calling us to do things for Him and somebody out there needs it. Somebody needs us to be a part of their lives. Somebody needs us to, to, to love them and give time to them. And um, all we're doing is just doing what God asks us to do. Yeah, you want to be careful when you gossip in a church, right? Because you never know who you're talking to. Um, that's my sister. Um, so be careful, right? I, at the same time, I love this. It's, uh, I always take it as encouragement when your own sister who knows stories that no one else knows about you from earlier years comes to your church, you know, and will still come to the church where you're the pastor at. So 
It's good stuff. Um, I'm grateful for them and our friendship and their family and what they mean to us here as a church. Um, there's one other couple I want to invite up and introduce you to as we kind of wrap up our Life on Mission series and what we've done with that. And that's um, Jamie and Erica Despain. So if you guys would come up, I want to introduce these guys to you. We approached them and they took on that challenge to lead a life group with us through this series. And they live just down the street from us. So I said, hey, we've kind of picked the same night to do a group. Let's kind of team up and see how that works. We'll go back and forth. I was kind of letting them off the hook. You guys lead a week, I'll lead a week, and we'll just go back and forth like that. And after the first week, I said, forget it. You guys are awesome. You're doing a much better job than I could, so you take off with it. And they did a great job with our groups this last time. I want to um, introduce them to you and let them share their experience with leading a group through this series. So, Jamie, go ahead. Is Jamie to Spain? Right. Did that get turned off? It's on. We good now. All right. There we go. Thanks, Thanks, David. So, as Devin said, my name is Jamie to Spain. This is my wife, Erica. Uh, back in February, Devin approached us about possibly leading a uh, life group, and we're we're pretty excited about it, but we're also um, pretty nervous. Um, when we when we first discussed it, we were thinking, "Wow, oh, we got a million things going on," you know, just like everyone else does. And so we agreed that we would at least take the night uh, to pray about it. You know, I, I was away at the time. Uh, and so we prayed about it separately. And then the next day, uh, when we first talked to each other, the first words out of our mouths to both of each other were, yeah, we're going to do this. So we were, uh, and at that point, you know, it started the, started the journey for us. The, um, it's easy to say that the last six weeks, um, Sunday nights have been our absolute favorite night of the week. Maybe like a lot of you, usually our Sunday routine would consist of coming to church in the morning and then kind of vegging out and laying low uh, Sunday afternoon and evening, gearing up for the week. And so we thought, okay, well, we we need to regroup and um, this is six weeks and we'll enjoy it. But now we're pretty bummed that this series is over because Sunday nights have been incredible for us. Um, We expected and we're hopeful that that we would grow in our faith um, and in our individual relationships with Christ. Um, But what we didn't expect was to form the friendships that we did. Our group had between 12 and 16 people at a time, and we consider all of them great friends now. Um, So it's been an incredible experience. Life on Mission has really impacted us in bigger ways than we expected in just our daily lives. And uh, yeah, we're bummed it's over, but are really excited and Mm. hopeful about the next group we'll do. And it's been wonderful. One of those ways that the life group actually impacted us, it was the very next day after the serve lesson where we talked about acts of service and showing God's love toward others. Uh, we had the opportunity that God placed in our lap um, to watch, uh, watch some kids of uh, friends of our family that she had gone to labor and they were having another, having another baby. And Erica you know, let me know about it and said, hey, we have the opportunity to watch, uh, watch a couple more kids. And anybody knows this, we've got two small girls already. And so at that point, we kind of did the, oh, I don't know about this. Um, but after about a couple minutes of thinking about it, Erica and I, I looked at Erica and I said, you know, you know what this is, right? You know, we talked about service yesterday, and God has uh, placed this in our lap to perform this act of service. And uh, it, it was chaotic, but uh, it, it was awesome uh, having, having all those kids in the house. But uh, it was one of the big ways that the, the life group impacted our uh, our time as a family and our our growth as a couple awesome thank you guys we appreciate you thank you very much there's there's always opportunity for you to get plugged in and to serve at some level 
right? Now what are we supposed to do? How does this look? What are we supposed to do with this? And it's part of what we've talked about. The last six weeks, I think every week we've used this verse in the sermon somewhere. And it comes out of Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And it says it this way. It teaches us, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witness. That's what we're supposed to do next. Is just to be a witness. So I wanted to wrap all of this up as we look ahead as well. I'm going to shift to that here in just a second. But as we do this, what does it mean to be a witness? And here's the thought that just settled in on me as a courtroom. Have you ever been in a courtroom or you've watched something like this on TV? You understand there are different players in the courtroom. There is one, the judge. The judge is there. And the judge has gone through special education, special classes, special training to become the judge. The judge um, has a special role, wears special clothes, says certain things while he is a judge. He says, you know, he's learned to use special words like order in the court. I'm sorry, I'm pretty basic with my knowledge of judges, right? Um, Approach the bench, recess. We all like that, right? So let's go with that. Here's my question. Does God ask you to be the judge? Thank goodness we don't have to be the judge in this situation that we're in. There's the prosecutor that is usually in the room. The prosecutor, they're representing the victim in the case. And they have to develop a case to prove that the victim is innocent. They've gone to special school. They also use special words. When they're talking, they use words like circumstantial and I want the truth. That's what I see in the movies, all right? So they use special words as well. Words mean a lot in a courtroom. Are we called to be the prosecutor? No, that's not our goal. That's not our role. What about this? The defense attorney. The defense attorney, they play an important role. They defend the person being accused of something. I think they have the hard job because oftentimes they're defending somebody that is guilty of something. And how do you go about doing that the best way possible? They have gone to special school. They have learned special words. And they use words like, I object. I know my level is not too deep on this. Parole. I mean, they're talking about how do we get out of this? Does God ask you to be the defense attorney? No. Thank goodness that's not our role either. What about this one, the jury? Maybe you've been on a jury before. If you haven't, I'm sure you've gotten a letter saying, we want you to be on the jury. Block out these dates. We might be calling you to come and be on the jury. They haven't gone to special school but yet they still use special words because words matter. We have to use special words. They use words like, we the jury, find the defendant, whatever they found, and they report back to the judge on that. Are we asked to be the jury? There are times, maybe we stand up for others, we encourage each other, we're there for each other, but no, our role is to be the witness. That's what he asks us to do. You be the witness. Here's the special thing about the witness. We don't have to go to special school for anything. We don't have to use special words. We don't have to dress a certain way. Our job as the witness is just to witness. To be the person that stands up and says, this is what I saw, this is what I heard, that in my own words, that's what I got. That's what I'm witnessing about. In my own words, to share what Jesus has said, to share what Jesus has done for me because what Jesus said matters. The special words that he has used, they matter. They matter to us. They matter to the people that we have prayed for that we want to share to be a witness to. The words of Jesus are pretty important 
to tell them the words of Jesus is where we need to go. What did Jesus say? Because his words matter. Our words matter. We can, we can build each other up with our words. What we say to each other can make somebody's day. You can change the course of somebody's day today by how you speak to them and the words you use to them. You can build them up, make them feel good today, or you can tear them down with just a few words. I believe this as well. We've got to be careful with our words because they can be confusing. We can say a certain thing and they can understand it completely different. Here's an easy example. This happens, I think, often in marriages. I heard about a guy that was going to the grocery store for his wife. She said on his way out the door, she said, please get a gallon of milk. And if they have avocados, get four. So he went to the store. He comes back. He sets down four gallons of milk on the counter. And she says, why did you buy four gallons of milk? And he said, they had avocados. (laughs) I know all of you ladies are going, what was he thinking? Here in a little bit, you'll get it, right? What was he thinking? And he's saying, I did exactly what you said. They had avocados, so I got four gallons of milk. That's exactly what you said. Our words matter, don't they? How we understand things, how it is interpreted, what happens with that. What did Jesus say about certain things? We all want to know, don't we? And sometimes what he says, we might interpret different than somebody else. We've got to really understand the words Jesus used so that we can tell somebody else and we can be a witness for them. How did Jesus use his words? Was he confusing? I don't think so. He was pretty straightforward. But we've got to read them and we've got to know. So we're going to start a new series here in the next few weeks. Starting, well, the next week, and it's going to go on for a while. This is our follow-up to you inviting your friends. Let them come and see the red letters of Jesus. We're going to call this next series Red Letters. And our goal is this, to understand the words that Jesus used. Now, in your Bible, maybe you have this. If you notice in um, your Bible, in the Gospels, there might be a place where there's red letters, where they've changed the color of the type. Those are the words of Jesus. So we're going to unpack some of those sayings of Jesus, what he said. Now, to me, when I was going to school, red letters... Uh, that wasn't always the best thing. I would turn in a paper. That's back when we had to print them off and turn in the actual paper. Um, and they would write on them. The professors would write on them. And mine looked like a battlefield most of the time. I felt obligated to buy the professor a new red pen at the end of each semester because I'd use one up in my papers um, in school. It was, wasn't always the most positive thing. But the red letters of Jesus, now that's something we need to notice. That's something we need to look at. The first edition of that was back in 1899 when somebody said, let's, let's make those special. Let's put them in red so that it stands out so people will see what Jesus said. And, and I believe it like this. Apart from the Psalms, most of the time, if you're going to open your Bible and you want some encouragement, you want a challenge, you want to find out good advice on what to do with something, we turn to those red words, those red letters, and we say, what did Jesus say about it? What is he leading me to do? Where is he teaching me? Because in those red letters, you will find words of love and compassion and tenderness. It's in those red letters that you'll find truth and decisiveness. He didn't mix up his words He said exactly what he meant to say. And those red letters are words of hope and of joy and of peace and forgiveness. We need to hear those. In those letters are life. I also know when I read through the red letters of Jesus, I read encouragement and gentleness. But he's also not shy on boldness and confrontation. 
he goes at it. Here's one I, I want to read to you this morning. And this is in Luke chapter 19. In Luke 19, starting in verse 47, it says it this way. And he was teaching daily in the temple. The chief priests and the scribes and the principal men of the people were seeking to destroy him. They didn't like what he was teaching, what he was saying. They didn't like the red letters. But they couldn't find anything that they could do about it. For all the people were hanging on his words. People loved what he was teaching them, what he was saying. And they were hanging on those words because there was truth in them. And you couldn't find anything to convict him on those. Here's what I like about this. This passage right here, verse 47 and 48, right before that, verses 45 and 46, I want you to see this as well. This was right before what I just read. It says, and he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold So what was happening was there were people standing in front of the church, standing in front of the temple, taking advantage of the people coming to worship, and they were trying to make a profit off of them, and Jesus didn't like it. So he drove those people out, and then he said to them this, it is written, my house shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. Truth. We're to pray. And Jesus is calling us to do that. Last week, I was excited about this. I'd ask all of you, um, we, last week we talked about prayer. And I'd ask all of you to take a little white card. And we had these in the chair in front of you. We handed them out. And I asked you to write the name down of somebody that you'd be praying for. Who is it that, that has stepped away from God? Who is it that it's the prodigal that you know has left and needs to come back? Who is it that's going to be on your heart to be praying for? And I ask you to write it down and keep one and keep praying for them. Then I ask you to write the name down and bring it to the front. And then we collected those up here. And this is a stack that we got last week filled with names of people that you're praying for, that we're praying for you, with you. So Wednesday night this last week, I had asked for a few of you to show back up. And we called it a prayer for the prodigal night. And there was a good group of people that came out Wednesday night. And we went through this stack. And we prayed for every name that's on these cards. Not only once, we got through it once, we started the stack over and prayed over them again. It was a fun night. It was cool to just sit here in silence with other people and pray with you for the people that are here. Doing what Jesus asked us to do. To come to his house and to pray. Now we know about Jesus. He, he didn't write a book. He didn't write a letter. We know of one time that he did some writing. It was when there was a woman that was caught in some sin and they brought her in front of Jesus and they were trying to convict her and they were trying to trap Jesus and all he did was he kneeled down and he was writing in the dirt. We don't know what he was writing, if he was drawing a picture, if he was writing words. We're not sure what he was writing, but that's the only time that we knew that he was writing something. And then he stood up. And he played all the roles. I think he was playing the judge, the jury, the prosecutor, the defense attorney when he spoke to those that were accusing this young woman of her sin. He convicted them of their sin. And they left. And then he turned to this young woman. And in his words, he spoke words of love and encouragement, support, forgiveness. But he didn't leave her there. He also spoke words of conviction. He also spoke words of repentance to her. And he said, stop. Whatever you're doing, stop doing that. 
It's not just about the words of love and encouragement. It's also about the challenge that Jesus brings to us. And for three years, he walked around and he gave us that message. You have to love each other. Yes, encourage each other. But he also said in Mark 1 15, that the time has been fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent. Repent. Stop what you're doing and turn back to him. Come closer to him. There's life in those words. He spoke words like no one else could. And we've got to see those. In Matthew 7, verse 28, it talks about this, that Jesus, when he had finished his sayings, the crowds were astonished. They gathered around him because he spoke as one that had authority. He wasn't making stuff up. He had the authority to say the things that he was saying. And he made some bold statements. And we're going to look through some of these. While he was hanging on the cross, he said, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you done this? What did he mean by that? He said, sell all of your stuff to one young man. He said, sell all of your stuff and then follow me. Does that mean that's what we all have to do in order to be a follower of Jesus? What did he mean by that? He said, let the dead bury the dead. Well, that just doesn't make sense, right? What does he mean when he said those words? How do we go about understanding that? He said, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Then he also said one time, not everyone's going to enter the kingdom of heaven. Well, then how do we know? How do we understand what Jesus was saying? He said, I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. Another statement of Jesus. And then he tells us this. You should love your enemies. I don't know how to do that sometimes. How do we make that happen? Well, let's unpack it together. In John chapter 1, I love this. John chapter 1 in the Gospels. John unpacks it for us this way. He says, not only are the words of Jesus important, Jesus is the word. He's the word of God. God to us, speaking to us in his life. What he says and those words are important to us. So here's what I'd encourage you to do. Um, if you don't like us on Facebook yet, like us on Facebook. We have got a video that will help you be a witness to somebody else. Invite them to come. Invite them to be with you this next weekend on Easter. I'd encourage you, some of you to come to an earlier service. If you can make the 815, we've got plenty of room in that service. It would leave us some room in this one for others to invite your friends. But if this is the hour your friends come, then come with them here and sit with them and encourage them. Invite somebody to come to hear the words of Jesus. But then do this. You come. You help unpack this. What is Jesus saying to you? And how can we get to know the red letters of Jesus. Thanks.